Good to be with you guys in your homes this morning and uh, worshiping together. Um, before we get started, I just want to uh, remind you that uh, as we've been going through this pause series, uh, we've been asking for uh, questions or, or, or things that you kind of wanted to hear about uh, for our, in two weeks we're going to have a panel uh, of a few of us kind of going through some questions that we've received. So if you have, if you have some questions, if the messages have brought up some questions or you've, you've got some questions that are, that are kind of bouncing around in your head, um, we want to address those in a panel in a couple weeks. And so here's how you submit those questions. One, you can do it by looking for a poll in our Instagram uh, story today. Uh, you can comment on today's Facebook post, uh, or if you prefer not to uh, comment publicly, um, there's a page on our website, and uh, the live stream hosts, uh, chat hosts will post a link, and that link will also be in this Friday's newsletter. Um, <clears throat> so this week, it was actually on Wednesday, I was uh, over here in the worship center, and I was heading across the street to the office, and uh, as I was going across, I saw, um, over to my left, I saw smoke um, coming from the corner uh, by the AT&T building, just right across the street from the office building. And uh, I saw that there was smoke, and you know, when there's smoke, there's, there's fire oftentimes. And I could see that the, the brush, the weeds and stuff that, that are kind of growing on the sidewalk, because you know, there's not a lot of people there, um, was on fire. Somebody apparently had thrown their cigarette out. And uh, a fire ignited, and it was, it was burning. And so there was this, this brush fire going on. And so being, being the environmental hero that I am, I uh, went inside to the office building and uh, looked around for something. And I, so I, I, I found a coffee pitcher, and I filled it with water, and I headed back outside. And as I came outside, there was this guy walking on that side of the, the street on the sidewalk, walking way too close to the brush fire, by the way. Um, and he yelled across the street. He said, oh, are you going to put this brush fire out? Which he called it a brush fire as well. So when two people agree on something, it's, it's absolutely certain. So it was a brush fire. And I said, yeah, I am. And he's like, good job. So I came across the street with my pitcher of water and, I, uh, and then I put it out. And um, basically, I saved downtown Modesto on Wednesday. Like, if I hadn't done that, I'm pretty sure you could come down here, you know, this weekend or next week and everything would be gone. Um, so I, 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 just, I just wanted to share that with you this morning, that I am working hard for you and the city. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. This morning, we're going to actually talk about the environment. And uh, I just thought it was great that, you know, God gave me a great chance to save it this week, uh, to enter into this message this morning. Uh, you know, I, I was looking around and I found this article that was talking about all of the uh, at least perceived or visual changes in the environment around us since there was kind of the nationwide shelter in place and, and uh, people kind of adjusting their schedules and, and, and changing how they, they function. And, and there's lots of talk about um, how we can, we can see better because there's less air pollution because there's not as many cars and that kind of stuff, which there's a, there's a report out of, out of China of, of satellites over Wuhan and during the lockdown, how it was super clear. There are some reports about the, the canals in Venice 
uh, being, being cleaner or whatever. But, but the reality is that, that a lot of these things are just simply temporary things that have happened because there's less traffic, there's less people moving, there's less people doing things that they normally do. And so the sky's a little bit clearer or the, the water's a little bit clearer, not necessarily cleaner, but maybe a little bit clearer. Um, it was interesting, as I've, I've read some of these articles, they were saying that, you know, that these things aren't necessarily long-term changes. Um, and the reality is that there just have to be less people doing less things to make a huge difference in that. And, uh, and really the way to do that is, you know, clear half the population, but we don't have the right glove for that. And uh, I don't snap super well. So um, we kind of move on and we kind of talk about what, what really as believers, as Jesus followers, how should we view and perceive and, and think about and behave with our environment, the, the creation around us? Um, the reality is that, that it, since for the last few weeks, um, I've been amazed at the clear view of the Sierras and, and, and the mountains to really either side of us. Um, it's just been pretty, pretty impressive. And, and at night, um, seeing the stars and things like that. Um, in this series called Pause, really the nature of, of a pause is to take a breath. And what we're asking, what we're kind of trying to do is consider in that, in that breath that we don't necessarily know everything we think we know as, as surely as we think we know those things. And in that pause, recognizing that yours and my number one priority is to grow and mature, becoming more like Jesus while reflecting him accurately. And, and so that applies to every part of our life. It, it, it applies to how we interact with people. It applies to how we interact with the creation that God created. And so really, I want to kind of take you through a, a biblical understanding of the creation. And when I, when I say creation, I'm using this morning creation and the environment that we think of, you know, in, 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 in our culture today, when we think about the environment. I'm using creation as, as synonymous with the word environment. Um, except what I, what, I, what I want you to understand is this morning, as I talk about creation, I'm talking about in the context of what God has created, but I'm pulling humankind out of that because humankind is part of God's creation, but humankind is unique because God placed his image in human beings only and not the rest of creation. And so when I talk about creation, I'm talking about what God created, what we see, the animals, the, the trees, the earth, the, the sky, the, the universe, all of those things. Um, and, and, but humankind is, is kind of taken out of that as we talk through this idea of creation this morning and, and mankind's role in creation. And so I want to really begin at the, at the very start. Um, earlier this year, when we, when we came into 2020, um, we did a series called Patterns, and we, we looked at how Genesis 1 through 3 really sets patterns for the rest of the Bible. And there's these, these patterns always come back to Genesis. And so in Genesis chapter 1, it contains the story of God's creation, of how God created and, and what we see in Genesis 1 is that there is this ordered creation by God, and then it also contains his response to creation, how God responded to creation. 
And five times God looks at creation as he creates each thing each day. And he pauses and the text says, and God saw that it was good. He says that over and over. And then he finishes creation the sixth day. And he looks, it says he looks at all that he had made. And Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so what we see at the culmination of creation, when, when God finishes creating, and he makes all of this stuff that, that we see, and the stuff that we, we haven't even seen yet, and that we can't even see because it's so vast or so deep, we see at that point that God, God was happy, even delighted, as he sat back and looked at creation. And so there's something about God's view or perspective of creation is that he finds joy in creation. Psalm chapter 104 and, and, and many other psalms talk all about creation and the place of creation in our lives and why God created. And, and in Psalm 104, the, the psalmist, he writes a song expressing the joy that God has in creation. Maybe later this week you could read Psalm 104 and just kind of see how it talks about creation and the joy that God has in creation, that he rejoices in it. In fact, Psalm 104 verse 31 is a great summary of, of what what this song contains, it says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Sorry, that my, uh, my mic was bothering me for a second. And I'm fixing it. And there we go. We're good now. Okay. Um, and so, so Psalm 104.31 really does talk about how God rejoices in the works of his hands, his creation. And, and so one of the things that we see is that really the earth is a container to display God's glory. Numbers chapter 14, 21 says, But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, that the glory of the Lord will be contained and, and, and made visible on the earth. And then in Habakkuk 2, 14 we read, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That the earth is this, this, this canvas for God's glory so that we can see it, so that we can have an idea of, of who God is, his character. And, and, and so what I want to kind of share with you as we begin this, this process of understanding creation is, is understanding why God rejoices or receives joy from creation. Why does God rejoice in creation? Because if God rejoices in creation and creation brings God great joy, then, then we should be reflecting that and rejoice in creation and find joy in creation around us. And so the first reason that God rejoices in creation is that creation expresses God's glory. In Psalm 19, uh, a good summary of what, what the psalmist says in Psalm 19 is in the very first verse in that, in that chapter where, where it's written, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That, 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 that creation reflects God's character. It reflects who he is. It reflects how he thinks. It, it reflects his creativity. 
It reflects his love. And, and so creation expresses God's glory. The second thing, the second reason why God rejoices in creation is that, re, that creation praises God. Psalm 148 uh, talks all about how creation constantly is in this chorus of praise to God and, and taking a few of those verses, starting in verse 3, but, but looking at a handful of verses in, in Psalm 148, we read, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deep. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. All of those give praise to God. That's all part of creation that praises God. They, they're, they're, by their very nature, they praise him. They praise God simply by being what they were created to be. And it's interesting because when you think about all creation praising God, there is so much that is beyond our vision. When you think about the outer reaches of space and, and what we see in like the Hubble telescope and what that brings near and, and we see. And, and there's stuff that, that we don't even see in space. And there's also things, I feel like every year we learn more things about the creatures in the, in the depths of the sea. We see these species of fish and, and things in the sea that we've never seen before but, but we see them. I love watching the, like, the discovery specials and, and, and showing us the things that we've discovered in the, in the depth of the ocean that probably many of those things we'll never actually even know about. And so it's interesting that, that creation wasn't just created merely to serve our purposes. It was created for the enjoyment of God, that God enjoys his creation, that there's things that, that we don't even see that God still finds joy and rejoices in. Creation also, God takes joy in creation because creation reveals God's wisdom and his power. That's what creation does is it reveals his wisdom and power. Psalm 104, 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Talking about the wisdom that God had and making just the, the varieties and, and just the, the, the diversity of, of creation, of creatures and trees and flowers and plants and, and, and all of those things. But it also shows his power in Isaiah 40, 26. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, all of these animals and these beasts and, and, and sea creatures. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And so creation, creation actually displays God's wisdom and power. And finally, God rejoices in creation because creation points us beyond itself to God himself. John Muir, who, who uh, kind of was the father of, uh, kind of came out, explored, and kind of father of, of national parks in, in some ways. And, and, and when he came out to Yosemite, what's now known as Yosemite National Park, he was, he was, he was on this just trip in, in, in discovering the beauty of, of, of nature and he, and he was looking at this, uh, he was looking at this peak that's in, in Yosemite called Cathedral Peak, which he named. And this is what he said, and this is what he's quoted in saying as he looked at that. 
He said, this, I may say, is the first time I've been at church in California. Led here at last, every door graciously opened up for the poor, lonely worshiper. And he wasn't someone who expressed faith in Jesus. He wasn't someone who was religious. Yet, yet even his response to the beauty of God's creation was that he said, this is church. You see, God intends us to be stunned and awed by his creation, but not for its own sake. Creation begs us to ask the question, if this is the result of his, of, of his, of his character and his wisdom and God's power, what then must he be like? What is God like if, if this is simply a product of his creativity and character and power and wisdom? You see, as we look at these things and we look at how God rejoices in creation, creation is very important to God because it points to the object of humanity's inception, salvation, and destiny. That what creation does is it, it, it points to our origin, that there is something, someone who created us. It points to our, that we were created by God along with what we see around us. It points to our salvation, that the one who, who sustains all of this brings us life, new life from sin, being dead in sin, and brings us our destiny of, of being made like him and, 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 and receiving our inheritance. You see, creation points us to that God. Yet because of sin, because of the fall, because of we as sinful human beings in our broken image, while we do carry the image of God of all of his creation, that humankind, men and women, carry God's image inside of them. We are stamped with him, his image. We are image bearers. We are also fallen and we are broken by sin. Yet there's hope of restoration. But you see, in sin, mankind no longer processes as well as he or she could have outside of sin. And so really, with sin, there, there are three, I think, basic ways that, that humankind look at the world around us. Three ways that, that sin has infected and affected the way we view the world around us, each other and creation. And the first kind of fallen way of looking at things is, is that a, it's called dualism. And dualism looks and, and it divides all of, of that we see into two realms composed of the spiritual, which is typically good or real, and physical, which is typically bad or doesn't matter. So if you have a dualistic view of life and the, and the creation, you see the spiritual things, the things behind the curtain is important, and the rest of things don't matter. So it really doesn't matter how you treat creation. It doesn't matter what you do with it. In fact, it's, it's not even necessarily that good, which is, in, is contrary to what God said about creation, that it was very good. But dualism basically says creation doesn't matter. It's just spiritually what I'm doing. So, so I, I can care for or not care for creation at all. And then there's, there's another kind of approach that is this fallen approach, which is materialism. And materialism views creation and really everything primarily as something to be owned or used. 
And so in materialism, we look at creation, we say, okay, this is all for me. And it's, it's for me to own, it's for me to use, and it's for me to make my life what I want my life to be at the expense of creation because it's all about me. And, and, and so materialism, that approach and creation says that I need to dominate everything as opposed to what God gave us in Genesis 1, the pattern of stewardship and the dominion mandate, which was not domination. It was actually growing what God gave us in Eden to expand that to all the earth. And then the third, the third kind of view or approach that is that tainted sinful view is pantheism, which basically says God is not distinct from creation, but God is just part of creation, and all things are of equal value. That really when it comes down to it, that everything you see in creation, there's really no God outside of creation. God is contained in creation. And all that, is, that we see in creation is of equal value. There's no greater value for any one thing. So man is no more than a mushroom. But they can both be fun guys. You know, that's... that's Last service, when there was a, a few people in here, they laughed at that, and I'm assuming you're laughing at home because that was really funny and good. Anyway, um, basically, as we look at these different fallen, sinful viewpoints of life and how we interact with creation, dualism neglects the importance of creation, the importance that God places on creation. Materialism neglects the importance of God. Uh, materialism, it, it neglects the importance of God and, and says that, 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 you know, God has nothing to say about what I do with creation. And then pantheism actually neglects the importance of man, that, that humankind, human beings have the image of God on them and they are significant and different and special among that which has been created. And ultimately, pantheism also neglects the significance of God because it says God is just within creation, not distinct creator. And so really, even as believers, we, we are bent toward one, of, one or some of those fallen viewpoints. Just take an inventory and look at how you live your life and I would say that your bent, your default falls within that area of dualism or materialism or pantheism. And God, his, his maturity of us and his transformation of us is to move us away from those things. And so thinking about creation and thinking about what the Bible says about creation, the Bible says a couple things about creation that seem to, to live in, in, in tension with each other. And the first thing is this, that, that creation will face a judgment from God along with the rest of this fallen world. In 2 Peter 3, particularly in verse 7, uh, Peter writes, but, the same, but by the same word, that word that created all things, that by God's word, creation happened. By that same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, being kept for the day of judgment. And so the reality is that there is going to be a deliberate, a deliberate judgment by fire on God's part. And it's not a random accident 
or it's not nature out of control that we can somehow avoid because it's God's judgment on a fallen world. And it's easy when we focus on that to say, well, then it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I conserve. It doesn't matter if I use. It doesn't matter if I abuse. It's all going to be burned up anyway, so, so it doesn't matter. So I'll just use it to my benefit. Because there's another concept that God's going to do, and that's renewal. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, we read this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had been passed away, and the sea was no more. But as we, as we go to Genesis, or Revelation 22, look at how John describes what this renewed heaven and earth looked like. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. You see, the, the, the recreation, the renewal that God does, actually looks very similar to what we live in now. And there's this tension between the judgment and the renewal, but that's the same tension that we live in in our bodies where, where, where Paul says in particular in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that while our bodies that we live and function in today eventually will, will fall apart and will faint and will be destroyed and we'll have new bodies, but we'll still be the same people. We'll have the same stuff and they'll function very similarly. And so no one in their right mind would say, well, because God's gonna give me a new body, I don't, I don't have to take care of my body here and now. That would be similar to saying, well, because God's going to renew and do a recreation of the earth and, and all of this, then we don't need to worry about taking care of things here. We don't need to care for, for the creation now because God will take care of it later. We're stuck in these bodies for our lifetime until we see Jesus in the same way the creation that we have around us, we're here until Jesus returns. And so while, while those things are in tension, we, we have to live in that tension. And so here's what I want to give you, maybe kind of a, a, a biblical view of creation and how you and I maybe need to grow and process and live in creation. And so the first thing is, is to adopt God's value. In other words, rejoice in creation. God rejoices in creation. And if we are to reflect him, and image him, then we should rejoice in creation. And, and, and there's, there's, there's the reality that in, in God's value, that creation is of incredible value, and mankind, human beings, bear God's image to care for and steward creation. And so we find great joy in creation. And so the question that maybe brings us to a place to help us adopt God's value is to ask ourselves, do I see creation's value as what it can do for me, which would be materialism, dualism, even pantheism to some degree? Do I see creation's value as what it can do for me or who it points to? Because that's, that's the thing in creation. It points to God, the creator. Second thing is to remember God's order. 
the order that he gave us to care for what he's given to us. That the order that God has given us in Genesis is, is that mandate to care for and steward creation. And so, so the question is, do I take seriously God's command to care for what he's given? Am I truly caring for what God has placed around me? Am I caring for creation? And then the third thing to, to having a biblical view of creation is this, to preserve God's expression. To preserve God's expression. Remember we started looking at the Psalms and looking at how throughout the Psalms and throughout the entire Bible, it talks about how creation reflects God, is an expression of who God is. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but do you, have you ever realized that the goal of the person who has surrendered to Jesus when it comes to creation is actually the same goal and result of a person who is very much focused on, on the, in the environment. That the Jesus follower and the hardcore environmentalist has the same ultimate goal in conserving and keeping creation visible and conserved. Now, we come from different motivational points. We come from a different place at the front end, but it results in a, on a, con a conservation of the environment. Because you see, an environmentalist wants to keep creation for future generations so that they can enjoy it. But the Jesus follower wants to keep creation intact and the diversity and all the species that God created and all the trees and all the flowers and the hills and the, and the valleys and, and, the, and the water and, and the, the clarity of, of the air and being able to see the stars because creation gives the next generation a clear picture, a better vision of who God is. Really, creation's role is evangelism. Jesus Christ is the perfect example and he is the primary way that people see God because Jesus is God in flesh. And so we have that testimony in scripture. And then God chooses to use men and women who follow him to reflect him and be the, the testimony of God. But the problem with human beings is this. There's this tension that human beings are those who direct people to God, but also human beings who follow God are also often the biggest hurdles for people believing in God. But here's the thing about creation, is that creation, God created all these things and creation points to God. You see, creation is one of God's evangel evangelism plans for humankind. And so the question really, the thing that we have to wrestle with is, is if I choose not to be responsible in my consumption of creation, and I choose not to conserve creation, then what I'm basically saying is that I'm okay with the next generation not having the evangelistic witness of creation or having less of it less of creation to see who God is. 
So the question that I would ask myself is this, to preserve God's expression, is do I really care about people knowing Jesus? Am I serious about evangelism? And, and so, so this morning, as we've kind of walked through this, hopefully you've maybe paused for a second in how you think and how you live. You see, I would say there's enough argument here in Scripture that we should be very wary on how we live and how we consume the creation around us. One, because God takes great joy in creation. And two, the creation is part of God's evangelistic plan for humanity. In a second here, I'm going to kind of throw it back to, to Matt Soderlin, and he's going to kind of close us out. But, but I want to share with you something um, that's been on my mind this week. Something that God's really been, been placing, um, placing kind of in, 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 in my focus. Um, this week, I've been, I've been reading a lot and I've you know, heard the, the governor's address and, and the governor holding pretty tightly to uh, when churches can meet and uh, the rollout of, of, of opening things back up again. And I know this week, a number of people were really disappointed and frustrated with, with what the governor said. Um, and I've been reading a little bit about what some different churches in California are deciding to do. And I've been reading about some churches and, 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 and seeing some church leaders and churches around California say that um, they're just going to open up and start meeting in person regardless of what the governor says because they feel that that's what they need to do. And as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the tension that we live in as Jesus followers and the, the, the tension of, of government and freedom and, and being American and all of these things, God brought a passage, a verse to mind and it comes from Zechariah chapter 4 and in, 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 in Zechariah, the, the context that the, the prophet is in is that Israel has recently come from, from their exile in Babylon and come back to Jerusalem. And, and the people of God are trying to rebuild the city and, and, and there's all kinds of things that, they're, that, that are coming up against them. And they're, if with all of their strength and power and all of their wisdom, they are working hard to, to, to rebuild and they're, they're pushing against their enemies and they're doing all these things. And, and, and God sends Zechariah to Israel and, and he, he says this to the people. Zechariah 4, 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And as I was thinking about this, the reason God communicates that to his people and the reason God communicates that message to his people throughout biblical history is that God gets things done differently than we get things done. And that all, so many times as, as, as God calls the Israelites to, 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 to go through and, and take the land of Canaan, as God calls people to, to go from poverty to, to, to getting their needs met, as God does all of these things throughout biblical history, he does it in a different way that glorifies him rather than glorifies us. And I was just thinking how some people are deciding and some churches are deciding, you know, we're going to meet regardless of what, what, what the governor says. That kind of looks like a group of people saying, because it's our right, because we can do it, because we have the ability, 
we're gonna solve this problem and through our power and our might, we're gonna get it done. When maybe, just maybe, God is consistently acting as he always has acted. And rather than us possibly stealing God's glory in this, God is saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, I will move and I will make things right again. And, and, and so my, my challenge to you that I want to lay down is this, that you seek in your heart and you, you do some self-reflection as to why you're trying to move the way you are and, and is it by your might and your power or does by God, is it by God's spirit moving? And so here's the challenge that I want to give us this week. I would challenge our church, those who, who, who are part of the Crosspoint family, to pray this week every single day for the next seven days at noon. Together, wherever you are at noon, pray. And, and, and I would challenge you to pray that God softens the governor's heart and that he gives the, that he chooses of his own volition to give the authority back to the counties and that the counties make decisions that fall in line with where God wants us to be and how God wants us to function as a community. Pray that God does the work. Because if we pray to that end and it softens the governor's heart, and God moves in the leaders of the counties across California, then God will get the glory. Rather than individuals saying, look what we did by exercising our rights. Every day for the next seven days at noon, pray to that end as a people of God and see what God will do. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and God, I thank you for, for, the, for what you've created around us and that all of your creation points back to you as a God who is full of wisdom and power and love and creativity. Father, I pray that we as your people would be people who are seen as the most, the most focused on conserving the creation around us. God, that in our conversations with people who, who might even think of us as, as being, uh, God, consumers and just using up and not caring for the environment, God, that we could recognize the unity with those people, that our goal is to conserve so that creation can be seen. Maybe not from the same motivation, but God, that that would give us an opportunity to explain why creation exists. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to be reflections of Jesus Christ in, in, the, in, the, in the environment that we now live. God, in the time that we live, that we would reflect you well to the community around us. God, I thank you for your love and your design for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.